right, welcome back to Bars Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. It is a top of the charts Tuesday. That's when Patrick plays jams. I reached the top of the Billboard charts on this day in history. So we appreciate all his efforts. We appreciate your efforts, too, on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. We'll go behind the burnt orange curtain here and talk some uh, Texas sports, Texas baseball. Um, We'll also get into some Texas football as well. Coach Sarkeesian hiring uh, three new analysts, all giving the special assistant to the head coach uh, role. And uh, we'll get into that, or designation. We'll get into to that. Uh, you can be a part of the show. Specs text on 512-337-3776. Also, the Twitterverse. Harge is at Hardball Harge in the Twitterverse. Patrick Davis at It's Patrick Davis. I'm at Rod Babers in the Twitterverse. Harge, what you got coming up for the people on Harge Knock Life? We got our man Danny Davis from the Austin American Statesman. He's going to come on and talk a little bit of uh, Texas baseball, some softball. Mm-hmm. Just kind of give us an overall view of what he's expecting this week for the Texas baseball team as they mm-hmm. travel to Coral Gables. Miami. Uh, yeah, man. I like that. Uh, as a matter of fact, let's just uh, continue. Let's piggyback <clears throat> on that um, yeah. and uh, just start off with Texas baseball. Texas baseball found out they were going to the Miami Regional. Uh, they're going to face Louisiana uh, in the uh, first game uh, in the tourney. What are your thoughts about their upcoming opponent, but also the region that they find themselves in? Well, the I, I think this is a good spot for them, to be quite honest with you. I think, uh, obviously, Miami – uh, University of Texas and and the way that they've gone about their baseball history. This is probably one of the what do you, what do you call it the blue bloods they are. where you get involved yeah. in this. But I'm also looking at it in a different way too because Texas now has been challenged by taking on a raging Cajun team that likes to run. They like to run, still a ton of bases. So when you sit there and look at this team and what you're going to be expecting. They stole 161 bases this year Ooh, as a team. Wow. And they attempted 218 of them. They're batting 288 as a team. They don't have they don't hit for a ton of power. I think they might have hit 66 home runs on the year. But what they do is they put pressure on you. I got a chance to call them um I got a chance to call their games last year at the Round Rock Carbot Classic. Okay. And so when I got a chance to talk to their coach, they got a lot of the same players that are still there. They've got a lot of the same speed that is still there. So this is going to be a true challenge for them. But the only thing that they don't have is their pitching is not going to be up to what Texas was able to see early. Uh, But Texas hadn't been hitting the ball. They didn't hit well in Arlington. Uh, They went through that great week against uh, West Virginia. But looking at this week, yeah, this is something that they got to regroup, get some rest, get those players back on their feet, off their feet for a little bit, and get ready to go down to Miami and, and put in some work. You, lo- you lose two pitchers on the staff as well. They're missing uh, two guys from this year, and then they lost another guy that transferred out. Hmm. I mean, when, when the season's not over yet, man, finish the season. <laughs> I need you, and especially now when you're dealing with these injuries. So it, it is going to be an interesting a uh, couple games, you're guaranteed two. But I think Texas is guaranteed they want to be there for the entire weekend and go down there and handle up. Uh, the the texter here brought this up to the SEC accounted for half of the host sites with eight. Eight. There's um, only one team that's west, and that's Stanford that's hosting. Everything else is on the central or eastern time zone. Yeah, what are your thoughts? <laughs> they want to know if you think that's uh, justified. I mean – 
Uh, it's a good year. It's a. It was yeah. It was just another a good year, year for, for the yeah. Big. Tw- I mean, Big Twelve for the SEC. You start looking at all the rankings and how it was given out and the final rankings. It was SEC and ACC. If you start looking at it, Wake Forest out of the ACC, Clemson out of the ACC, and Stanford's the only team out of the out of the West. That's true West. Coast That's a true West Coast team, team that got a host. host. So <laughs> it is. Uh, it was warranted. I think they've done a good enough job this season. I'm just disappointed that no one in the state of Texas got to host a a regional this year. Uh, DBU was the only hope, and they ended up getting beat in their conference tournament. Hmm. So that is why some of these other teams stole bids, and and you start looking at who's in, who's out. Why did this team get pushed out as opposed to this? Just like in the NCAA tournament, if you're a bubble team and a team that shouldn't have any business being in it, wins their tournament, you're out. So handle your business. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. You need to handle your own. And uh, the Louisiana matchup is there. You talked about why they're dangerous because they're they're active, put a lot of pressure on you, a lot activity uh, by running the base pads. Uh, they also are a team that you know they've uh, they've taken down. Oh yeah, a couple of uh, big big time programs yep. here this season. Uh, it says they defeated number ten overall seed Coastal Carolina twice. Yep, on Saturday to reach the championship game in Sun Belt. Um, the 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 Louisiana baseball program. What I mean, I don't know much about the history of it. They have good history. They have good history. They, they have got pedigree. Good, they so, got yes. So this is not some foreign thing to them playing at no. this. Okay, All right. this isn't this isn't a team that you mm. should just walk in and they say they won't be unaccustomed. To I'm this. gonna beat. I'm okay. gonna beat y'all. No, you got to come out there and work it. And I heard uh, mm. Coach Pierce on with uh, Craig Way talking about Coach Deggs. Coach Deggs is took over at Sam Houston. When Coach Pierce left, so he followed in that when Coach Pierce uh, okay. left to Sam Houston, yeah. Coach Deggs was the one who took over that job. So okay. this is another uh, program that is historic, but they don't they they play differently. Um, this was a team back in the day they would hit a lot of home runs. They were a big bombing team. Mm-hmm. They would go out there and crush. Well, now they're more of a speed team. Like I said, they'll play some small ball. They'll definitely hit and run. They will put the pressure on you to make plays. Okay. So that's the other team. Yeah, or or make mistakes. Yes. Make sure you make the play. Exactly. Um, because if you don't, yeah, you can be your own worst enemy. Um, that that sounds. It sounds like it's going to be a really intriguing matchup. It definitely is. Don't. Uh, yeah, you can't sleep on this team. Okay. And again, too, Texas did not hit the ball well. I know fourteen. We were bragging. I think we jinxed it. <laughs> we did. I, I, I kept that bringing up that stat. Yep, I really yep. kept, we kept bringing up the stat that they had so many guys with first with six batters. Yep. We're all hitting above 300, all yep. trending that way. Didn't happen this weekend. Oh, man. I feel Not like a good look. We, that was, I, mean, I, said, I literally said that's my favorite stat yep. of the year so far. <laughs> I feel like I jinxed them. And then they did not. You're right. They, they were not prolific at the plate when they needed to be. Um, I think you're going to get – this team bounces back pretty well, though. Yeah, after disappointments, well, I've liked that about they them. They like the challenge, right? There's a resilience yeah. factor, so hopefully that resilience factor uh, plays a huge role for them in their matchup versus Louisiana. Yeah, but you're right, man. It's uh, it, right now. I don't know. I don't really know what to expect, and I know how uh, if a, a true Texas baseball fans, that's got to be you know, it goes from bubble guts to butterflies in your stomach quickly. 
<laughs> quickly. Because you know what this team is capable of. They Absolutely. showed it to you. Absolutely. They showed it to you at the end of the season. They swept West Virginia, and you went, okay. And when they had to have it, they swept West Virginia, got their share of the Big Toe Titan, you went, okay. This yep. is a team that knows when it's on the line, when there's pressure, uh, that they can come to play and they can handle adversity. But then we watched the way they played in the Big 12 tournament. Yes. So we just know now that, yeah, they have a really high ceiling, but also even at this point in the season, unfortunately, uh, they can still hit a pretty low basement. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. And that was that was rock bottom this past yeah, week. You don't want to see you want to no. see a higher baseline. You don't want to see that at this point in the season. You see that early on in the season. That's okay. Start swinging. You know what I'm saying? Start swinging. Yeah. Put the ball in play, guys. Shorten up. Get on top of it. Don't go out there and think that maybe it was just Arlington too. They never do well in Arlington. They are terrible in Arlington. <laughs> they are never they good are in Arlington. They are bad in Arlington. So maybe that was it. Maybe you didn't jinx them. Maybe it was just Arlington's that jinxed them. Okay. How are they in uh, Florida? In uh, I don't South, know. I heard Coach Pierce South say Beach? this is the first time he's been there. <laughs> All right. Ever. How you as long South as Beach? he's been coaching, really? he's never been to Coral Gables. Okay. So. No, that's good then. That's a great thing. That's no, that's no bad sample size at all. So hopefully we get the best of Texas baseball. We'll be breaking down that matchup a little bit more as the week goes on. Yeah. We got a little bit more time for that, and we'll review it again uh, coming up in the top of the sixth. But also uh, Danny Davis, that's right, the Austin American Statesman, coming on with us, and you're going to talk hardball with. We're going to talk some hardball and some softball. Yeah, a little bit. See what's happening. You know what I'm saying? We got it covered. Yeah. Uh, Okay, let's talk Texas football here. Texas uh, football, Steve Sarkeesian hired three new analysts, uh, gentlemen, and uh, they are all given the title of special assistant to the head coach. But I I am assuming they're going to be associated with three different phases, but that has not been uh, stipulated. Um, But you do get Paul Christ. As a assistant, special assistant to the head coach. Remember, he was at Wisconsin for mm-hmm. many years. I mean, eight years as the head coach, but he was there off and on as an offensive coordinator at one point too, uh, as an assistant coach at one point. Um, helped build that program. Uh, a lot of people assume that he's a college football Hall of Famer. Um, yep. and will be at one point in his career, and we don't know if he's done. Um, but his uh, last year was twenty twenty one. There, right? He didn't coach last season, right. and still has not really found, or at least I don't know if he's. Won to coach, we have, we right. haven't heard from, him, so we don't even know if Paul or if his contract will let him coach. I haven't read his con, looked right. at his contract and know the stipulation. He probably gets a parachute of some sort based on what job he takes and all that kind of stuff. So that's also a a factor in his decision making. But either way, Paul Chris, that's a well. Yes, I mean you go get I that guy as a, spe- as a special assistant. I mean yes. he ain't as big as Gary Patterson as a special assistant, but honestly, it, it, it could be. No, Gary Patterson to me is a, is a a step above a part. Not most of my Hall of College Football Hall of Famers, but I think that Gary Patterson was known for being kind of a uh, he got it built a program almost from nothing. Fair, not not nothing. TC, I'm gonna say it was they nothing. Had, they had, they had they some things out there. Things, but they weren't they weren't known for being a power at all in, in modern college football. Uh, okay, and it, it was the GP era that kind of turned basically made them a player. In major college football, yeah, we would agree. I would agree. With and that. I don't know if I don't know if, I don't know if Paul Chris gets all that credit for Wisconsin. I, well, because Wisconsin's been around, and and it, for those that don't know, I'm a, I'm a closet Wisconsin Badger fan. Okay, you go, you yeah. go in. You got the yeah. Go ahead. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a it. closet Wisconsin <laughs> fan, so I've I've been watching his career, and remember at one point 
we thought he was going to come to the University of Texas yeah, with Mac, Mac Brown. Him. Yeah, Mac Brown was looking at him, but I think he wanted to stay at his alma mater. It was, it was after the 09 season. When he was doing everything to change himself. And then I think it's his 2000. Yes. And then after <laughs> that in 2010, basically when he hires Brian Harson mm-hmm. in that crew. So right. it was after the 2010, I should say, meltdown. He looks forward at the hires Brian Harson and Brian, uh, sorry, uh, Sorrell, right? Say Sorrell. It was Brian Harson and Stacey, Stacey, Stacey Sorrell. Sorrell. Yeah. Oh, Searles. Searles. Is it Searles or Searles? I don't know. I think, it's Searles. I yeah, think it's Searles. I think it's Searles. Either yeah. way, he hired them instead of Chris because I think you're right. Chris yeah. wanted to stay where he was. Yeah, and I've, I've been a big fan of his running game. Obviously, you know anything about Wisconsin football, they know how to run the doggone football. That's what they do. That's yes. how they make it. And he's never truly had a quarterback besides Russell mm-hmm. Wilson that was there that would you would say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, this is a game changer. No, he made it work. They made all kinds of things work, and they were always in the mix. Now, what is he going to do with Coach Sark? We don't know yet. We know he's the special assistant, but I think he's going to help with the running game. I think he's also going to be able to to teach those those running backs, the new running backs. Tashar Choice is the guy. But he's also going to give them some nuances to some certain things where they're going to be able to use it because that's the one thing that we've been talking about. You're losing B. John Robinson. You're losing uh, uh, Rojo. Uh, and now you're going to end up having to develop these new running backs. I think that is going to be something, too, that he's going to help with this running game. I think it's important that he comes in and, and also gives Coach Sark some other eyes. You talk about that in-game adjustments. How is he going to be able to to show him, hey, this is what I've seen you be able to do where you've kind of fallen, not fallen off. I'm not going to say fall. Well, yeah, I guess we can say fall off. You can off. say falling short. Falling short. You can Let's say that he's not falling, falling short yes. at, times uh, at times in, in adjustments. And I think that's fair. And I think he's gotten better, yeah. uh, by the way, too. But I think it was also having Gary Patterson on that staff as Absolutely. a special assistant have, as a sounding board, to your point. So uh, I'm with you on that. I, I, think, I think the running game is the – First, uh, or at least to me, the the most impacted area with Paul Chris's acquisition Absolutely. because we saw what that running game looked like last year without Bijan and Rojo in that bowl game versus Washington. I'm not taking anything away from Washington. That defensive front was pretty good, but guys, the average less than two point he averaged two point eight yards per carry. Less than three yards per carry versus Washington. That's what the running game looks like without Bijan and Rose. Exactly. All right. Exactly. And I think uh, gives Sark a ton of credit. He wasn't. He didn't have too much pride. He wasn't. You know, arrogant. Well, he was. The game plan was arrogant in that bowl game because he thought he could still run the same plays he ran with Bijan and Rojo right. with Keelan Robinson. And no, you need more innovation, more creativity. But in the offseason, going to get a guy like Paul Chris, as you point out, Harge had. I think that his team's average over 200 yards rushing in five of his eight seasons. Wisconsin known for running the rock, pounding the rock. Run the and, dang ball. Yeah, and Texas, even though I believe the identity will be in the passing game, that's where all of your strengths are this year uh, with your wide receiving core, with JT Sanders, uh, X-Man, and Jay Wood and uh, A.D. Mitchell. But you're going to have to be balanced with the running game, and Paul Chris is going to have help them add some juice to the running game. Yeah, a little bit of juice, mm-hmm. and I think he'll give you some new ideas some new ways to run the football because unlike, and I'm not saying Sark needs a Bijan Rojo, but guys, those were cheat codes. Yeah, and I broke down. I broke this down during their draft evaluation. If you go look since 2014, this is pro football focus, so it's not Rod B's numbers, but um, I got my own. But since 2014, if you go look at yards after contact per carry, and you go look at forced missed tackles slash broken tackles. 
Bijan and Rojo are both top five. I'm not making that up. Yes. <laughs> They're both, in terms of <laughs> their per snap basis on broken tackles and forced missed tackles and on yards after contact per carry, they're both like top five. So that's exceptional talent. There's a ton of times where they turned a negative play into a positive play. And in that bowl game, we saw all those negative plays turned into positive plays with Bijan and Rojo actually end up materializing into negative plays. And then the, 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 the running game looked like it was subpar. So I think that's the biggest impact for a guy like Paul Chris coming in. You can now add some needed innovation and creativity to the run game that they didn't have in the bowl game. We saw, unfortunately, a little bit of the scheme exposed. Without Bijan and right, Rojo, right? But life is easy with Bijan and Rojo. I mean, that, that I thought our life was really good with Bijan and Rojo. I mean, you won like yeah. three games just deciding in the second half. All right, just put some Bijan on it with a side of Rojo. Yep. Iowa State, Baylor. You didn't K-State do that. K State game was kind of like that. You mm-hmm. did. That's how you won those games. Yeah. Just gave it to those guys. So I love. I love. It's a. It's a great move. I mean, it is a flex, a major flex for Sark. But there are so many advantages. I'll get into it in Raj Ravi today some more. But he likes to use twelve personnel a lot yep, too. Yep. Two tight ends, and that's also something uh, the run that game. Sark wants to use. Yes, that can help you play bully ball. We know Sark likes to play bully ball. So either way, and, and actually, there's another um, added advantage to the Paul Chris tight end. I'll get into it in Raj Ravi today that may prove Black Stradamus uh, once again uh, was uh, foreshadowing in some of my breakdowns earlier this year about Texas football. Okay. Let's get to the other hires. Uh, Joe D. Camillus, Harge, mm-hmm. uh, special teams baby. coach. Yeah, I mean, Cowboy, he's been with everybody. Yeah. I mean, Joe D. Camillus, he is a 31, going on 32-year special teams aficionado in the NFL. and he's, NFL lifer. Yes, and yep. he's been uh, in the NFL a long time, and he's been with a ton of teams actually as a special teams assistant coach and actually as a special teams coordinator. Harge remembers him with the Dallas Cowboys. Yep, yep. Uh, but he has been special teams coach the Giants, the Falcons, the Jaguars, the Cowboys, the Bears, the Bears, uh, Broncos, Jags, most notably with the Rams. He won a Super Bowl uh, there with the Rams. And he actually spoke at the coaching mm-hmm. clinic that Sean McVay had. I heard uh, Jeff Howe talking about this, that Sean McVay attended here at the University of Texas with Coach Sark, and he spoke there. And I imagine since Sark visits with the Rams as well, uh, that maybe they formed a relationship. But Joe DiCamillo is coming in as a special teams uh, advisor, kind of the uh, special assistant to the head coach, but also in a special teams capacity. Hard, so we give, hey, we're coming yeah. to NFL over here. We got the NFL wow. work over here. That's that's good. I mean, go and find every single weakness that you have and see mm-hmm. what you can do to get it better. Mm-hmm. Period. And if you need to bring in other guys that have been at a very high level, we all know how good Jeff Banks is with his special teams. He's great. he's done a great job, and he's built. His reputation as that. Mm -hmm. But if you can bring somebody that spent a lot of time in the NFL that knows what it's all about and he has that experience that he can give to these young kids, that's even better. Because it's not, it's like your parents, right? Mom Mm -hmm. is talking to you and then dad comes in and we're all saying the same thing. But I can go and get Rob B to come talk to my kid and he'll listen to it a little bit more. (laughs) You know, it's like, okay, it's not mom and dad on me for about everything else. It's somebody else that's coming in to give a different view and a different take. It's all important. And you continue to sit here and look at that. Did you know uh, that he is the son-in-law of Dan Reeves? I did. I I, I read that somewhere. It doesn't surprise me at all. But it goes back. 
that yeah. football mentality, that yeah. football lifer, you learn so much more mm-hmm. because you've been around and you've seen the evolution. He was started in 91, 92, and now he's coming back over here to bring it to these kids again. If you don't sit down and spend time with this man, you're missing out. Yeah, it's crazy. He's only 57. What is he, 57? 57 years old. And he's already been in the NFL 30 plus years? 31 years. Headed on 32. Yeah. Well, now he's in college, so that's yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, some people are saying, you know, uh, obviously that, you know, you're bringing in some of these guys to help a a. A, a phase of the game that may need some support of some kind or some infusion of some juice of some kind. And that very well may, the, may, may, be, may be the case. But also, I do think a guy like Jeff Banks, who's gotten head coaching looks and interest um, at least a couple of times we know of, and I think Jeff Banks is a hell of a coach, there's a, you know, there's nothing wrong with going out and finding guys who may be on, a, on your list, your short list, of potential candidates or replacements for coaches, just in case you're really, you know, uh, you're you're highly thought of and respected coaches. Your coordinators are poached, or they right. they get a head coaching job, which you expect. You should expect that. So I think a part of this can be used as a way to almost interview potential candidates to right. replace your coordinators. And Nick Saban has done that. Hell, he did it with Sark. Right. I mean, Sark has been that guy. He Sark understands what it's about. Sark was an analyst who ended up getting promoted to offensive coordinator. I think a lot of times, and I'm saying, did he get promoted because Lane Kiffin got a well, no, job but, or something like no, that? No, no, he went to the Atlanta you know, Falcons. Oh, Remember, he went right, to the that's Falcons. Right, that's right. Um, after his role, and then he came back. So it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's. I, I do think though, it's a way to get to know a coach potentially down the line that you could hire later. Yeah. I should say that. I don't know if it's a direct replacement after, um, but you could hire later. And Joe Joe D. Camillus, I think everybody's a little surprised that he went to the college level. Yep. I know I am. Yeah, when I saw is. his name pop up, I'm like, why is he coming here? He's like, why the hell is he going yeah. to the college level? So, you know, maybe Sark, maybe Texas is one of the few jobs he would pursue if he were to go to the college Fair. level. If he, and you know that he would be paid. Um, like I don't know what he's handsomely. paid in the NFL, but yes, yes, the highest paid coordinators at the college level are paid just as handsomely, as, as Matt Hart said, as they are in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, the other coach that was um, – uh, promoted or at least hired, I should say, to be special assistant to the head coach on the defensive side. Uh, I hope I got his name right. Uh, Payam Sadat. I hope I got his name right. And I, I, if I didn't, somebody let me know if you got the, uh, the correct it is, pronunciation. It is Payam, Payam Sadat. Sadat. Yep. Okay. Uh, but he actually has been working at the FCS level a lot. He was at Army for a while. He was at uh, Portland State yep. as well. And he's he's known for having I've done a little research on him very exotic, unorthodox, unique defenses. There and honestly, at the FBS and the Power Five level, they probably hadn't seen many of his defensive concepts. And I think they just kind of want something fresh. It'll probably be the same. Uh, it'll have obviously the same kind of meat and potatoes. It'll be the same principles, but it'll be in a different package. And he's known for having a very creative package. Uh, around his defenses and his defensive uh, principles and philosophy. So he may bring just kind of a new coat of paint, if yeah. you will, to what Pete Kukoski already does. Well, it's going to be important for that and, and for him to bring those different levels. And, again, you learned a lot because, remember, Gary Patterson helped a lot on the defensive side of the ball. And PK, I know he deep down, I'm sure he was probably like, 
man, I'm tired of hearing everybody talk about Gary Patterson. Gary Patterson, now is my opportunity. But your defense did get better. We saw a lot Mm -hmm. of growth. We saw a lot of development. And that's something that you want to continue to keep going as well. Get as many eyes on it as we talked about on the offensive side. You need just as many on the defensive side to find out where your flaws are and what you may be missing. Because we all can go and look at it later. But it's that in-game adjustments, that in-practice adjustments, not in-game because they can't be out there coaching. But (laughs) when you start seeing some of the things that happen on the practice field that might get overlooked in certain situations, now you have another guy there to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, the defense went from 102nd to 18th in yards per play allowed. Um, And I think they went from 99th to 28th in scoring defense. So you're talking about a massive improvement. One of the most improved defenses in Texas football history. Yes. But uh, there's still some things that they got to sure up. And I do think uh, bringing in Payam Sadat, it'll it'll help in some of those key areas. So we'll we'll get into that and talk about a little bit more coming up in 6 o'clock. But you got a special guest coming up for Harsh Knock Life. That's right. Nanny Davis of the Austin American Statesman coming up next. Talk a little bit about this Texas baseball team and the expectations as they head to Coral Gables, Miami. (laughs) Uh, Talking hardball coming up next on Hard Knock Life right here on Ball Don't Lie, 104.9 The Home. Ladies and gentlemen, guys and dolls, the main event of the evening for your entertainment and pleasure. Mike, you have to be so combative. Now, I probably wouldn't say this in front of white folks. But in front of y'all, I'm speaking my mind. He has emotional anger issue problems. Hey, are you Dirty Mike and the boys? I'm Mike Lowry. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael! Welcome back to a Top of the Charts Tuesday edition of Ball Don't Lie. It's your boy, Hardball Harge. You can follow me on Twitter, at Hardball Harge. You can follow my man, Rob Babers, at Rob Babers. And, of course, you can follow the man behind the glass at It's Patrick Davis. And we'd also love it when you're a part of the show, so hit us up on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. And joining us on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline is the one and only Danny Davis of the Austin American Statesman. Danny, how you doing, my brother? Doing good. I think it really is a hard knock life. You're stuck with me on on, on day like today. But I hope I don't drive the ratings down too too far. <laughs> no, I think you got this, man. That's the reason why I gave you a shout because I know you always bring it. So let's talk about this Texas baseball team and and what you witnessed when they went to Arlington. Maybe it's just Arlington. Maybe they just don't like playing there. Although last year they got a chance to play for the Big Twelve Championship there. But this year, they just didn't have the the bats going at the the right time, as we like to say, at uh, in Arlington. What were your biggest takeaways when you got a chance to watch them this year? Yeah, I don't know if I buy too much in that ballpark thing, even though they are over five this season. <laughs> um, there and Lucas Gordon was goofing or joking around about that yesterday that the ballpark just didn't like them. But I don't know; it could be it could be just one of those combinations of a couple things. I mean. Maybe they were a little bit too cocky after the way they played against West Virginia. They played two very desperate Kansas and Kansas State teams. I mean, Kansas State, who didn't get in, um, kind of surprisingly, was fighting for its postseason life, and Kansas knew that it had to win the tournament to get in. So, you know, they were desperate teams that were throwing everything up against the wall to beat Texas, and Texas didn't have that desperation. Texas, uh, I think Lucas and LeBaron both pitched fine. Just the offense just didn't show up, which was – really surprising considering how they played against West Virginia 
And, you know, San Jose State's not a world beater, but, you know, they they had looked really good over their last five games going into that tournament, and they just offensively stunk against Kansas Kansas State, and I don't think either of us uh, saw any Cy Young winners on that, uh, on either of those squads, although uh, Tyson Neighbors is really, really good. Yes, um, but um, offensively, they just could, not, just could not get it done for whatever reason, and that was pretty surprising considering how they had played the week before, but... I mean, it's a conference tournament. Strange things happen in conference tournaments. I mean, you can go across the country and see, I mean, you know, Tulane's, what, two and 400, <laughs> and they've won theirs. So, I mean, strange things happen. And that's like, I, I personally think conference tournaments are dumb, but, you know, they make money, so they're not going anywhere. And I try not to take too much stock into them, but obviously Texas does not look good um, in Arlington. No, not at all. And Danny, you know this too because you've been around this team. You've seen a lot of great baseball. You've seen some bad baseball. But this team is 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 one of those mature baseball teams that have seemed to figure out a way if their backs are against the wall, they seem to come out swinging. And going down to Miami to Coral Gables, this is a uh, a big trip and a big challenge for them. But like David Pierce said, I kind of like these matchups that they have when you look at it at, at the big picture part of this. Yeah, I think if you looked at the region, if when the regional matchups came came out, I don't think any of those teams stood out, and you're like shaking in your boots if you're a Texas fan. Granted, you know that can be a fool's errand right there, and <laughs> thinking that you're the you're the best team when you're not the host. Um, I, I don't think anyone that roots for Texas or any of the, us media members know that much about the other teams going in there, aside from what we've kind of scrambled to learn over the last, uh, last 24 hours. But, you know, I, I think Texas would have to feel confident being better than Louisiana, which was a okay um, team in their conference this year and Maine, you know, Maine won their conference, but that's a very, that's a low major. So I think you just kind of think, okay, who's the better team, Texas or, or Miami, but Miami played a really, really good conference this year and is really battle-tested and obviously gets the host this week. So, um, you know, it's just going to come down to whether or not Texas can produce runs. I have a feeling that Lucas and LeBaron are going to pitch uh, pitch well enough. And, you know, if Texas can scrape together uh, a good enough pitching performance on, on that third day, yeah, they're going to have they're going to have a good chance. But I'd imagine Miami is going to be um, the, the, the favorite since they're going to be at home and they're – a decent team, but um, Texas should be definitely. Although, you know, I think, uh, you know, as, as the last couple of tournaments have shown, you know, every once in a while, one of these three or four seeds manages to get hot. I mean, South Florida was a four seed in their um, regional two years ago, and they made it all the way to Austin. So who knows? But I, I would say we probably are going to be seeing Texas and Miami battling, battling for this one. That's what we're all hoping for. I know that. Uh, we're talking to Danny Davis of the Austin American Statesman. You can also uh, hit him up at hook'em.com. Danny, you know, you've seen a lot of great baseball seasons, and one of them we got a chance to witness last year with Ivan Melendez. But I want to talk a little bit about what we've seen this year with Dylan Campbell and this impressive hit streak. Not only the hit streak, but the reaching base streak as well. You saw him at the very beginning of the year where he was struggling a little bit, but I kept telling people, don't worry about him. He's He can hit. He, was, he wasn't getting base hits, but he was making loud, productive outs. What have you seen from Dylan Campbell in his time here on the 40 Acres? I think Dylan's just a testament. I mean, you know as well as anyone. I mean, baseball is – it's you, you get streaky in baseball, and 
Um, you know, Dylan did not start the season well, as I think he would he would he would tell you, and anyone who could look at statistics or you know film could tell you. I mean, he was not that good at the beginning of the season, but the talent's there. I mean, Dylan was getting significant playing time in the tournament last year on a stacked offensive team. So that tells you the kind, I mean, he had maybe the biggest hit of the year in that East Carolina um, must-win game, that game two out out at ECU. So, I mean, obviously the talent was there. It was just a matter of, okay, you know, he had a bad first couple weeks of the season. No reason to bench him or tell him, you know, to go transfer to whatever, who cares, state. I mean, obviously, you know, he's at Texas for a reason. He just took a little while to figure it out. And then, you know, these last, uh, whatever it is, month and a half, however long he's been on this uh this hitting streak is just showed just how talented of a kid he is. And the thing about him is, you know, you can look at the offensive numbers, you can look at, you know, what he's doing in the heart of that lineup, but his defense is so Oh my good. gosh. Like what he's what he's doing out in right field, I mean it is absurd. Like every single time like a runner runs on him, even if it's like obvious that the the guy's gonna score or get to the base, it's still kinda like, oh that throw was a little closer than I was expecting. You know, and you know, he's diving for balls. You know, holding runners who don't want to t- try, don't want to chance it, and take that take that extra base. I mean, defensively, he has just been really, really. He's a complete player. Um, last year, obviously, Ivan was an incredible offensive talent. Cody Clemens in 2018 was was a show whenever he got to play. But mm-hmm. you know, Cody was a second baseman. Ivan was a first baseman who was maybe kind of playing out of position. You know, but Dylan just offensively, defensively, he's what you know, 24 of whatever. On stolen bases, 20, you know, 25, running, of I mean, he is a, 25 of 28. Yeah. <laughs> he is a complete player, maybe the most complete player they've had in, you know, in the David Pierce era. He's just, he has been, you know, offensively, defensively, leadership wise. Everyone talks about how good of a leader he is. He's just been the complete package for this team this year. No doubt. Yeah. 75 hits that leads the team, 63 runs scored that leads the team. He's got 38 strikeouts and 36 walks. You talk about some plate discipline right there. And then you also factor in what you were talking about, the stolen base part of his game. But his defense has been unbelievable. Um, Every time I get a chance to go down there and watch those guys play, I mean, you can even look at Porter Brown and what he was able to do. He wasn't known as this great defensive player, but it seemed like he turned himself into that type of player. And then, of course, with Eric Kennedy in the outfield as well. This was probably one of the most fun outfields that we got a chance to watch this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of tell how much Porter has grown in the year just based on that TCU um, game winner he had. I mean, TCU is his former team, and they thought they could run on him. And, you know, he gunned that guy down at the plate, and it wasn't close. So, obviously, TCU didn't have much confidence in him as a defender, but he's made a lot of strides uh, this year, and he you know, credits credits uh, Caleb Longley for kind of, you know, working with him and the other outfielders on defense. and. EK, I mean, we've seen him enough over the last uh, five years to kind of know what he what he's capable of. I mean, this is an outfield that loves to loves to come up throwing, loves to you know dive for balls and stuff like that. And they've been you know, pretty talented. Last year's last year's outfield was a pretty good defensive outfield too, and this year's outfield is just better. So um, I, I think that's been a big asset to the Texas pitchers. And you know, with this, uh, you know, Texas kind of having some of the problems it ha- has had after Lucas and LBJ, I think them having a good defensive outfield has definitely been a an asset for this team. Before I let you go, I want to talk to you a little bit about that. You talked about the pitching staff. Obviously, Lucas Gordon and LeBaron Johnson are the two bell cows that we're looking at. You and I have talked about Tanner Witt and the expectations of kind of tempering those expectations because 
You can't just hinge everything on him. But now you're looking at a bullpen that is shortened not only by injury, but players entering the transfer portal before the season's even up. What are your thoughts about the pitching staff and what the expectation's going to be this weekend and how they're going to plan on juggling this? I mean, that's the 24000 What whatever What's that saying? Whatever $40,000 question? I don't know. <laughs> whatever that saying is, that's the – that's how much money this uh, question's worth. Worth if you get the answer, but um, that's the big question. I mean, I think I think if you're a Texas fan, you feel pretty confident with your top two, and you know that Tanner, for whatever he's going to give you, is going to give you something good. But the reality is, he's only going to be out there three, four innings. I mean, right. he's not. This is not going to be Tennessee Tanner Witt. This is not going to be the Tanner Witt Texas fans saw at the beginning of those first two starts of 2022. I mean, this is not going to happen. I mean, even if David Pierce wanted to and Tanner Witt wanted to, you know, this kid has a huge future ahead of him that's going to start in a month or so whenever the MLB draft is, and they're just not going to risk that for a regional, as important as that is. That's just not going to happen. So, I mean, it's going to to come down to those guys behind them. You know, I've always kind of said Texas has a super regional staff this year, or a super regional pitching staff. You know, I think if they got into a super regional, they could win two of three with the guys they have. But – the question is, can you win a regional when you're going to have to maybe pitch a fourth game, maybe pitch a fifth game? If you go to Omaha, can you piece together pitching over, you know, however long that you're in Omaha and how many games you need to play? And that's going to be the big question. Guys like Travis Staley, guys like Zane Morehouse, guys like Travis Hurley, those guys are going to have to step up because after, you know, Lucas, after LBJ, um, you know, pitch, if I was the opposing team, I'd be taking at least two, three balls every single Yep. Every single lot bad just to work up that work up those pitching counts. You know, no, if you swing at the first pitch, I don't care if it's right down the middle. You're sitting. You, you need to work those. You need to <laughs> increase those guys' pitch counts so you can get to the bullpen. Because after those two guys, and you know, even even you know, those the guys when Tanner pitches, you know, you have to save Travis. You have to save Charlie. Yep. You have to save one of those guys to follow Tanner uh, when he when he pitches that third game. So, I mean, the bullpen's going to be short-staffed, and those guys are going to have to step up because Lucas Gordon is not going to pitch uh, you know, complete game one-hitter followed by LBJ, complete game shutout. I mean, this is not going to happen. You know, They may hold you know those guys to one or two runs over, over seven or whatever, but at some point that bullpen is going to be tested, and um, they've been up and down. They've had some, they've had some good moments. I thought you know, in the West Virginia um, series, uh, you know, there, were, there were some ni- nice moments in, in that close-up game, especially from Charlie, Charlie Hurley and uh, I think it was Zane um, who who came in and had had a good a uh, good outing and Travis too. But you know, there's also been some rocky rocky moments as we saw in Arlington. So we'll see. I'm not I'm not placing any money either way because uh, I think this uh, bullpen's a little unpredictable. But right. um, I think in the end, as much as we talk about the offense, as much as we talk about those stars that they have starting the games, the bullpen's going to decide this team's fate and kind of. Uh, how those other guys do is how Texas is going to do over the next uh, week or so. No doubt. And the, the offense has to find its way back because it was uh, on, rolling on E this past weekend. So they got to make sure that they get everything going as they start first pitch 1 p.m. on Friday. And I believe it's going to be on LHN. But, of course, you can listen to it all right here on 104.9 The Horn. Danny, as always, man, it's always good talking to you, and hopefully we can uh, keep this thing rolling in the next week. That's what I'm hoping for. 
Yeah, you know, if, if I if I survive this week, I think me and Craig Way, Roger Wallace, we're all going to be on some South Beach club or something, you know, this weekend. So if we survive that, uh, you can have me on next week. I can't wait to hear the stories about you, Craig, and Roger <laughs> on South Beach, baby. I love that. There he is, my man Danny Davis. You can follow his work at the Austin American Statesman, or you can go to hook'em.com. Danny, appreciate you, brother. Uh, thanks for having me. No, no problem. Good stuff right there from Danny Davis, breaking it all down. Texas baseball, they got a lot of work. They get one bullpen. weekend on the beach. They get that weekend, that's right. No, but they got to work that weekend. They, they got to get that work in. If they work in, I guess, after the game, you can get in. You can definitely if, get that work in. Texas winning, then you stay another week. You, well, you get to you figure out where you're going out. Yeah, you get a couple more days. Yeah, you get more days. At least you can stay on the beach until you figure out where you're going next. Exactly. All right, yeah, um, that must be nice, South Beach. How, <laughs> no. how much time have you spent on South Beach? Oh, I've been there. Well, yeah. I know you've been there. I've been, I've been there a couple, couple times. Uh, uh, I, I spent a lot of time on South Beach. Yeah, I oh, know. It's a nice place. It is a beautiful it's a place. Magi- it's a magical land. Uh, no doubt. <laughs> it's a uh, magical land. It is. I, I love South Beach. I've yeah. been just like twice, but I want to go back again. Yeah. And I got a friend that just apparently moved to South Beach, so I got, I got a reason to go. My cousin's there. Really? Like, yeah, yeah I like, lives there. I know. Yeah. I never, I never knew anybody that lived there. And he just told me, he's like, nah, man. Me and my, I think it's his fiance now. They live there now. Oof. So I got an excuse to go. But I got to take wifey. Let's go. I got to take wifey so I don't. Road so trip. Things don't get out of control. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So Smart I, man. Yeah, exactly. Smart man. Yeah, yeah, you can do that. Uh, yeah. All right, let's uh, get into this off the record here, gentlemen. We got a couple off the records, and they both come from the NBA, and they are both fantastic <laughs> NBA stories. They don't get more salacious than this. All of that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful Nine Horn. D.D. Magadoodoo, I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Delhi Cat Essen. Well, well, I don't get a break the head comb. Congratulations. Continue good sex in the sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. All right, welcome back to Ball Don't Lie right here on 104.9 The Horn. Uh, the NBA Finals will start later this week, and you will have the Denver Nuggets taking on the Miami Heat. But remember, guys, I told you, every week of the playoffs, or at least, honestly, every round of the playoffs, every bout of games, I should say, of the playoffs, the NBA gave us a little salacious nugget. They gave us a nice, a nice salacious story associated with the matchups, even if they were good or not. Um, they've done it again. Uh, this one came from over the weekend. Uh, so apparently the NBA is investigating one of its own officials. The NBA has opened an investigation into veteran referee Eric Lewis over the potential use of a burner Twitter account that responded several times to messages that had been critical of him and other NBA officials. Uh, This was reported by USA Today and confirmed by other websites. Uh, The person requested anonymity uh, because of the sensitivity of the situation. But the account in question at Cutliff Blair had been momentarily deleted after the potential link to Lewis had been discovered. But it was then active once again as of Monday morning. The link came to light Thursday after a Twitter user found the Blair Cutliffe account and then posted screenshots that showed the account responding to messages in defense of Lewis and other NBA referees. 
So basically, the NBA is like, nobody takes up for the referees. This must be a burger account for referees. Nobody likes these damn officials. This looks very suspicious. And we need NBA, to find his IP. <laughs> so, yeah, they're, they're basically looking into violation of the rule that prohibits referees from publicly commenting on officiating matters without proper league approval. That would be, gentlemen, the, um, the violation. Right. Know? But the burner account, okay, do we think it's true? Now, the NBA has had several, like, I, what was it, several basically scandals, but it had incidents. With players slash executives and burner accounts. Yep. Remember what was the seventy sixers executive who blamed it on his wife? Oh, uh, he got fired. He was the I think right? he was, was the, it Yeah, yeah, something like something that. Something like that, right? Remember yes, that one? Yes. That was we forget about that. It was like he blamed his wife was on Twitter talking trash, but actually people believe it was actually him. Um you're right, I think he got fired as yeah, a result anyway. He did. And then of course the famous K D burner accounts, which All of them exposed K D for yeah. Being way too sensitive, <laughs> in this day and age. All right, so we think it's true or not? I think it's true. You think it's true? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Because I don't know if I don't know if that was the one that I sent you, but you would see him, this referee, this particular referee, yep. when a basket was being made. I think it was by Jimmy Butler. You could see him blowing like. Looking like he was disgusted that they oh, made yes, it. Oh, yes, you did see. That's not, yeah, that's not the way. I, I remember that one, though. Yes. That was prior to this scandal. Yes. 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 And then we, we talked about that one time where the family members, like he had season tickets to Boston or something like that, one of the <laughs> officials, and the family was all upset. I'm like, wow. man, what is really going on now that we're sitting here thinking about these officials and the scandals. Is anything sacred anymore? I do not believe so. <laughs> oh, man. Um, yeah, I, I think it's true, too. Yeah. I, and I think I don't think he's the only one. You're, you're not buying that it's his brother? Oh, is that his excuse that it's a family member? No, no, someone else has now put out the excuse that it is oh. because the email address was going back, but then it could be like, okay, it was on somebody else's email. I think the weird part was they said it was an AOL email. Oh, which you're like, all right, well, if you have an AOL email, you shouldn't be employed anyway, right? <laughs> yeah. hey, don't say that too loud. Lindsay has an AOL still. Hey. She still has that. That's all right. She still has that. I still I have still a hotmail. She doesn't like change. I have a yeah, hotmail somewhere, so it's okay. We're all yeah. holding on to something. Yeah, that is a, that was the part that surprised me the most at all. But, but yeah, I don't, and I get you don't want people to have burner accounts because it's just going to make people yell at them more. Like once you figure it out, they yell at him more. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't really care. Let him have it. Let yeah. him get it off that yeah. chest. Just, just they. I don't get why refs have to think that people are ever gonna like them. Like, there's nothing. I don't know why in somebody's head they would become a ref and then be like, I don't get why these people think I'm doing a bad job. You're like, yeah, they always will. There was calls in the game last night where you're watching, and it was one of the most obvious moving screens ever in the history of basketball. Jalen Brown basically walked through a guy and kept pushing him out of bounds on a screen. <laughs> yes. And then right, the fans are like, what are you calling? I know exactly. You're like, look, people are just not going to like it because they're a team. Exactly. That's kind of what you signed up for. You signed up to be disliked. That's part yeah. of your job. Nobody's going to like the refs. I, I'm with you on that. And, uh, yeah, I, I do think nowadays refs in the social media age, they, they want to be public. Well, they are. They're actually right. pu- they are public personalities, but not in the way they want to be. They want to be perceived better than they actually are, and they're perceived as yet yeah, a-holes. Yes. Nobody likes them. Nobody likes Nobody them. Nobody likes them. <laughs> and all your calls are bad, and yeah. that's just the way it is. And everybody believes they can do your job better than you. 
That's also they were. They, honestly, that's our profession is like that too. Some people say one thousand percent. Some people have professions where everybody believes they can do your job better than you, and it's okay. Like that's most NFL coaches are like NFL head coaches. Most human beings out there sitting on their couch believe they can do a better job coaching teams. Than NFL head coaches. I believe I can and you call can't. better plays. Exactly. We all believe. <laughs> I believe I can do a better job to start. We believe that. We yeah. No, it's not true. All right, just for the fun. It's not true. It's part of our delusion. <laughs> that we, we can no, you can't do a better job. No, you're not. All right. That, maybe Bill O'Brien. But that's about it. Everybody yeah. else is pretty much they deserve to be where they are in society. All right. We'll come back. We'll get into the uh, the Heat winning game seven and advancing to the NBA Finals. We'll break that down. Uh, Rock around the day. We'll talk uh, Texas football uh, making three key hires. We'll talk about what that means. All that more right here on Ball Don't Loud. Wonderful. Not the horn.